Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of The Elite Beat, your source for all the news, results, and hot takes surrounding the world of all elite wrestling. I'm Andy. Sitting across the table from me is Jenny. Hello. And 101 miles to our southwest is Megan. Hey. Now, before we get into all that grappling action, Jenny's got a little something for us. It's the best part of the week, the Elite Beat Pop of the Week. Well, this week, we're enjoying a bottle of Ruinart Rosé. Megan, what do you have down in Cincinnati? I have a bottle of Gerard Batron Cuvée. Is that a Cremant? Yes, it is. Ooh, very nice. Most of our listeners might know that you can only call a champagne a champagne when it comes from the Champagne region of France. And it is made in the Champagne traditional method, which means the second fermentation happens in the bottle. Additionally... It can only be made of three grapes, the Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier. Let's cheers to the Elite Beat Pop of the Week. Thank you, Jenny. That was very informative. This past Tuesday, Jenny and I partook in AEW Dark, the new digital series from the fine folks at All Elite Wrestling. And uh, Megan, you, you didn't get a chance to check this out, so you'll just have to play the audience on this one. How about that? I can deal with that. AEW Dark is a studio show, is hosted by Tony Schiavone, standing in front of a green screen at Diamond Dallas Page's yoga facility. <laughs> and Wait, really? Yeah. Wow. If you if you watch Road 2 series or so, even some of the, uh, I think some of the Being the Elite stuff has been shot there, like anything that looks like AEW offices, like Cody's office, that's that's the DDPY facility. Wow. Yeah, they do, they're doing a lot of uh, production work out of that facility. I'm, I'm glad to know this going in because that blows my mind for some reason. I don't know why it's surprising, but good job, DDP. Yeah, he's uh, D- Diamond Dust Page is very close to the uh, Rhodes family and always has been. So, well, that's sweet. Dusty, Dusty kind of, Dusty kind of got him, uh, kind of broke him into the business in some ways. Oh, I like that he's part of it. Then, yeah, he's looking out for little Cody. Yeah. Now this is this is four matches. Don't know if that's going to what it's going to be every week. I think that's what it is next week as well. We were told beforehand that these matches would count for the official records, which is nice. So they all have some consequence. But had no idea that on week one there would be a match that would have such title implications as Darby Allen beat Shima in six fifty five. Darby Allen finally hit his finisher move. So he has tried this in several matches, and this was the first time he actually won with his finisher. His finisher is the coffin drop which actually looks really cool. I, I kind of like it. And Megan, I have a sneaky suspicion that you like Darby Allen. Yes. One, I feel judged, but two, accurate. No judgment here. No judgment here. So Darby Allen's win here would lead to a match he would have with Jimmy Havoc on Dynamite, and we'll get to that later. But it's, it's nice to see that already they're showing that this is a show that's important to watch because the things that happen here have consequences for the regular TV show. In the next match, we had the Lucha Brothers and Helico and Jack Evans, who are now known as the Hybrid Two, defeating Best Friends and Private Party in 8 minutes and 40 seconds. We had Allie and Britt Baker defeating B Priestley and Penelope Ford at 10 minutes and 20 seconds. I ended up really enjoying another women's wrestler from this match, Penelope. She clearly was a gymnast back in her previous life and did some awesome back springs and gymnastics across the, the mat. I've actually always thought 
that the wrestling mat looks similar to the floor mat from a gymnastics competition and have been interested to see how a gymnast would translate into wrestling. And rounding out AEW Dark, SCU defeated Jurassic Express, 9 minutes, 20 seconds. Pretty much the same uh, finish they did, or similar finish to what they did at All Out. Uh, Match was not quite to that standard, though. But Christopher Daniels did improve his flossing. But that almost made it worse. I know I loved his flossing in the first one. It was so deliberate and, like, how I would floss. It's like he, like... like, Uh, He had such a dad floss, though. It's really good. So that was AEW Dark. I enjoyed it. Probably watch it again on Tuesday. I, I wouldn't say it's an essential viewing, but it was certainly an easy enough hour to watch. I enjoyed it a lot, actually. And I, I felt like it served its purpose of showcasing some of the, the newer talent or some of the talent that might not make it to regular airtime, like that Penelope. I thought she was actually very interesting to watch. Maybe she's not strong enough to yet to be like a main character on TV, but she was fun to watch via the dark episode. I will say that I kind of regret missing AEW Dark because I was a little confused about why Darby Allen versus Jimmy Havoc was suddenly like a title contender match. So maybe I missed it earlier in some other production, but that seems like kind of important information. So I'd be I'd be happy in the future to know I should keep track of what's going on there, if only to have a little more context on the main show. I think if, if you weren't able to gather why that match was happening, they did a bad job. Because this, much like being the elite we talked about last week, shouldn't be, your enjoyment of the product shouldn't be dependent on you watching being the elite. It should be dependent on you watching Dynamite. You shouldn't have to watch this other YouTube show to get a complete picture. Yeah, that's true. I I just wasn't sure when I was watching the main show if I had completely spaced on something from the last episode or not, because it did come across as a surprise to me. But it's good to know that if nothing else, they said it somewhere and I just missed it. Um, but I do agree. Like if I, if I can't make that extra hour of TV in the giant schedule of wrestling on every single week, um, it, it is difficult to justify not getting that same information on a main show. It's time to talk about numbers. We've got week two ratings. According to Showbuzz Daily, AEW Dynamite reeled in 1.14 million viewers, and NXT drew 790,000 viewers. The true TV simulcast of AEW added an additional 122,000 viewers to the TNT number. So, as an explanation for the true TV thing, basically, there was a big-time playoff baseball game going on on TBS last night. If it, w- if it had gone long, if it had gone too late, they were going to have to switch to the next game on TBS, so they were going to push the rest of that game, the first game, onto TNT, which would have preempted AEW, and then AEW was all set to run on True TV. And just as a precautionary measure, they did, in fact, run on True TV. So that's that's the whole story of the, the True TV simulcast. Okay. That's not something that's going to be happening regularly. Both shows are down in ratings from their October 2nd shows. Last week, AEW drew 1.409 million viewers, and NXT brought in 891,000 viewers. So what I thought was really interesting about these statistics was that AEW was down almost 40% versus last week, while NXT was only down about 10%. And it got me to thinking, what's causing such a drop in AEW viewership versus NXT. My first thought was, did a bunch of people just tune into AEW to see the first show and decide, hey, that's not really what I'm 
I'm here for, and I don't want to tune in again. Or two, if this baseball playoff had such an impact on AEW viewership, but it did not have a significant impact on NXT viewership, is the AEW fan more of a true sports fan and really tuning into AEW from the sports aspect, not the entertainment aspect? So you're saying that's why they would be more drawn to the baseball game? I'm not sure. I'm thinking if this big baseball game is happening, why would it have such a drop in AEW viewership, but not have the drop in NXT viewership? My theory is that it's because we are very close to the absolute hardcore base of people who are going to watch NXT no matter what. And we have not yet nearly reached that level with AEW. Okay, so We think- still have a lot of casual people who are making up their minds about all elite wrestling. So you think it's really more of the first show versus the second show impact? Yeah. Okay. And, and much stronger sports. Co- there was a baseball game last week, but we're, we're, we're deeper into, we're a week deeper into the playoffs now. So the games are more significant every single week. But doesn't that get to my second point, that the AEW fan is more of a sports fan than a true wrestling fan? I just wonder if, demographically speaking, baseball games are less appealing to the 50-plus crowd that apparently NXT is reeling in. That's the thing. Baseball's strongest with the 50-plus crowd. Well, then that's weird. Well, I, th- I just think it's like the kind of 50, 50-year-old person who watches WWE and has watched WWE their entire life, pretty probably, or at least you know for the past 30 years or so. Like, they're not interested in watching anything else. They watch WWE. When they're watching WWE, they're, they're watching WWE. There was some data uh, that I saw about channel flipping, and there were a lot of people who were flipping from TNT to USA, and then they would flip back. There were not many people at all flipping from USA to TNT. So they've made up their minds. They're WWE, ride or die. Yeah, pretty much. That's interesting. Wrestling to them is WWE. There's no need to pursue anything else. What an interesting lifestyle you lead. All right, well, the meat of our show today is, of course, AEW Dynamite Episode 2 from the Aganis Arena in Boston, Massachusetts. Megan, lead us through it. We're going to open with the first match being part of the AEW World Tag Team Championship Tournament. This is first round, first match, and it is the Young Bucks versus Private Party. At the end, Private Party gets the win, but... I feel like this was not what at least Jenny and I predicted. I think Andy did have the one underdog pick of Private Party Party winning, but I was surprised. Oh, I called that shit. I was surprised but not disappointed because this was a very entertaining match through and through. It, it was very entertaining, but I will tell you, I was unsurprised and disappointed. I wanted to be wrong. I appreciate that because I think we all wish the best for the Bucks, but if they had to lose, this was the match to lose it. And Private Party looked awesome the whole way. I agree that the Bucks versus Private Party was the match for potentially the Bucks to lose, but it should never have occurred in the first round of the tag team tournament bracket. It should have been in the finals, not the first round. It's hard for me to argue with what they did last night, though, because it was so effective. Because... The crowd went insane for Private Party winning. It's, it really seemed like they made two new stars in one night. I don't think the Bucks lost anything, really, like as far as momentum goes. People are still largely there to see them. I think it was a big success, all in all. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there were so many highlights and good points for both teams. A lot of tandem offense, as Jim Ross said. We did get 
SCU and Angelico and Jack Evans as part of the crowd because they're clearly scouting out the competition. And at the end, Christopher Daniels was like a proud dad clapping for his for his boys. Uh, Angelico <laughs> and Jack Evans were moody teenagers and they were mad and, you know, left. But I thought it was cool that they showed the them in the crowd to say, like, this tournament's very serious and other competitors are here. Other competitors being SEU. They're here watching, comparing, getting ready. I thought that lended an air of legitimacy to the whole thing, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I really liked that. I I feel like that's something that happens in the Olympics and it happens in MMA. It felt it felt real. I think this was one of my favorite matches I've ever seen. Replacing No, not my favorite, one of my favorite, still Yoshrai versus Zybrookside. Okay. All three minutes and 25 seconds of it. Just, but it was perfection in those three minutes. This, I think, is right up there with it. I, I loved, I loved this match. Loved it. It was all action. It was fun action, too. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of personality. They were telling a story. They had awesome moves. It moved quickly. There was strength. There were flips. When Mark Quinn flew across the ring four times in a row to do those dives. That was incredible. It was just one after another. Like the athleticism of Mark Quinn is incredible. Megan. Yeah. I thought of you when Mark Quinn hit that shooting star press for a near fall, because I wanted to ask you better than Evan Bourne. How dare you? And the answer is no book. No, not bad. I think you got more air than Evan Bourne. I'm going to how dare you again, because uh-huh. <sighs> that's just my feelings. I think maybe you should look up an Evan Bourne uh, uh, shooting star. I think that I will just maintain that Evan Bourne is the best at it. Just like CM Punk's the best at the elbow drop. Okay, that seems safe to not like uh, check up on your assumptions after eight years or so. You know, I think that I've learned that relevant facts and research are not important and it's all about feeling. So Evan Bourne and CM Punk masters forever. Uh, I, I thought this whole match was terrific. The only thing is clearly the young bucks are perfect opponents for private party. And now private Hardy has to continue into this tag team tournament, probably against teams they've never faced before. Like, I don't think they've ever wrestled the Lucha Brothers. I could be wrong on that. Maybe I should check on that. But that's like that's dealing with a language barrier. That's dealing with, you know, a, a different style. I think that it's possible that they could be a little bit exposed because, quite honestly, they were a little bit exposed in their AEW Dark match, which didn't flow nearly as well as this one against the Bucks. It didn't flow nearly as well, but it was still really good, and you could still see their moves. And their talent. Mm-hmm. Now I am curious. You said there could be a language barrier. Are the with like Lucha Brothers? Are the Bucks? Do they speak Spanish because they've faced them so many times, or is that more of like they're just that experienced and work together well? I mean, I don't know how much Spanish they speak, but they've worked with the Lucha Brothers like a hundred billion times, and you know they've 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 worked in Mexico quite a bit at this point, and I don't believe Private Party ever has. Okay, I'm always just kind of fascinated to learn more about how when there is the language barrier, people work together. Because clearly it happens. It's just, 
interesting to hear that like you're concerned about private party who may have not have experience with that but the bucks do have experience in mexico so i guess that makes sense where you don't need to know the whole language to get across what you need to happen um it's just a part of the the wrestling that i'm interested in and i think they have the advantage here of a weekly television show so plan it a little bit more than you would normally would like don't call so much on the fly get with the lucha brothers beforehand and kind of plan out the match a little bit more have an interpreter there if need be but i think that they can probably communicate well enough as long as they have a little bit more time to plan and just out of curiosity now that private party has won and jenny and i were upset as far as our picks but you were not um, what are we looking at for their potential opponents in this bracket? So they are going to take on the winners of Jurassic Express versus the Lucha Brothers. I think since Private Party won, the Lucha Brothers are going to win. If the Bucks had won, I think that definitely Jurassic Express would have won. But I think the Lucha Brothers are going to win this match. Yeah, we talked about last week how it's... It's just way too early. They've done Lucha Brothers' Young Bucks too many times in this young promotion's history. And it's obviously a match you can go back to down the line and for you know for a big title feud, but it's way too soon to do it now after you've done it three times. They did it three times in the first four shows. So after that match, we had Jericho and his crew come out and talk major shit. And this is our first time seeing the quote-unquote inner circle as they're calling it. Mm -hmm. And we learned what they are all about, both at an individual level and as a group. Um, So Jericho introduced each person and the crowd reacted angrily. And it was just a really great overall sequence showing how to do a heel stable, if you will. Especially if you're, if it's full of kind of fresh faces. Yeah. It was cool because Jericho managed to introduce everyone and also give them obnoxious monikers or gimmicks that the crowd could react to, but it was awesome. It was great delivery, and I felt like he carried it where if you gave each of these men the mic, it would not have gone as well. No, God, no. (laughs) But Chris Jericho, I mean, honestly, like, you know, and and this is as much a a testament to how bad WWE promos are as to how good this promo was. But I don't think I've seen a better promo this year. I'm not sure I've seen a better promo. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was excellent. I don't even like Jericho that much, but I was in awe of how good of a job he did with this promo and just like how well he portrayed being a heel. The fact that he calls himself Le Champion is wonderful. Like, you cannot be a better heel than being a bougie French person like I am on our pop of the week. Le Champion. Le Champion. I also loved how when he introduced Jake Hager, uh, he, the crowd started chanting We the People, and he shut that shit down so fast, called it, called it, uh, what do you call it? Do you he have called a... it a stupid idea from bad creative. <laughs> That's right. That's a direct quote. And yeah. we from our Le Champion. And we the people sucks and is dead and buried. 
And I think yes. that was where the crowd was like, okay. And the crowd went crazy when he said that too. These people who had just been chanting We the People, he turned them like on a dime. And because because he's right, that's that's their thing. That is not our thing. Mm-hmm. That that shit is in the past. Let us let us tell you the story from here on out. And the crowd was totally willing to take the ride with him. Jericho's really good. Yeah, he is. Like I and he like pivoted so quickly and he like put the crowd in their place. I was I was impressed. Yeah. And that jacket, that purple sparkle floral jacket, you cannot get a better heel jacket than that. No, hell no. It was spectacular. Yeah, no, that's the thing is uh, we did kind of discuss last week how Jenny and I are both a little tired of hearing Jericho talk about how great Jericho is, but <laughs> it's not like he doesn't have the material to work with. Like, like I'm not saying Jericho's bad. He's clearly amazing. Um, well, it's more like you want to hear him talk about how great he is in the context of a wrestling show, not on his own podcast. Exactly. Like, this was amazing. He basically did everything we complained about him doing in real life. But in this segment, it totally worked. He talked about how awesome he was, and it was it was great. It came across wonderfully. And Jericho has the ability to, like, clearly everybody loves Jericho as, you know, like, this figure in wrestling, but he still gets booed. And that seems really hard to do, especially these days with all the pe- people looking up things on the internet and you know more about wrestlers than maybe they want you to that sort of thing but Jericho still pissed this crowd off multiple times not just this segment but later on too so he's he's got this talent and I'm not going to deny him that aspect of it um I do love the character Jericho and I think he does great and I'm glad he's the leader of this crew because yeah he's carrying them and they would not get here themselves this early did you know that they crashed pro wrestling tees no were people trying to get those Inner Circle shirts? Excalibur mentioned that the Inner Circle shirts were now up to pre-order on Pro Wrestling Tees, and the the site crashed. Like, <laughs> the, I, I guess it was probably the first time Pro Wrestling Tees had been mentioned on like before an audience of one million plus viewers, and uh, it could not handle the demand. <laughs> we actually went on to look at shirts. Uh, actually, before Excalibur said anything. We saw the Inner Circle shirts and we were like, oh, I wonder if those are up yet. And the site was crashed. Like, I think as soon as people saw those shirts. That's awesome. I do really like the shirt. Like, they managed to do a really cool design that doesn't involve the upper torso of a real life person. (laughs) Which is my (laughs) litmus test for wrestling shirts. Um, They look really cool, so... Next up, we have Jimmy Havoc facing Darby Allen, apparently for the chance to face Chris Jericho next week for the title. Now, again, I'm going to reiterate, I didn't know this going in. AEW Dark, please don't keep these secrets from us. (laughs) Don't keep you in the dark. Thank you. That was way better than my thing. So Darby Allen gets the win on this one, which I think... I'm assuming everybody here is happy about, and he did his coffin drop. So Jenny, as Jenny mentioned on the A Dark AEW Dark segment, he finally got to land that. Well, he got to land it again here. Um, it looks extremely dangerous, and I worry for his health. But it looks so cool. It is cool, but also, whew, if you just like trust fall yourself off the top rope, it's dangerous. Yeah. 
You're supposed to do that with people you trust. Does he trust the people in the ring? Does he trust Jimmy Havoc? You're supposed to. I bet he trusts. I bet he trusts Jimmy Havoc more than most people, because you know they're bonded by having been in the Cracker Barrel clash together. It's true. <laughs> they're bonded by being partially dead. Yeah. But if that's going to be his finisher, he's going to have to trust everyone. I wouldn't trust everyone. I feel like he's going to land flat on his back in I, the middle of the ring sometime. I think if you're wrestling on a wrestling show on TNT, you damn sure better be able to trust anyone that you're in the ring against. But here's the thing. You can't, even on WWE, you think you'd be able to trust the people that are on Raw or on the pay-per-view, and you can't. What about Nia Jax just hurting everyone she's in the ring with? Yeah, well, there are exceptions to the rule. But that's what I'm saying. There's probably exceptions within the AEW roster. Uh, I do. I think he trusts Jimmy Havoc explicitly. I loved this. Not the match. I thought the match was pretty mediocre. But I love the booking because Jericho's going to beat Darby next week. And then Jericho will be able to brag for a few weeks that I beat the guy that you went to a draw with. Because that's how they book. Like Wins and losses and draws have consequences in AEW. So... That's that's like a, a, a promo point that he can actually make over Cody Rhodes going into the match that I beat this Darby Allen guy when the chips were down, something that you were not able to do, Cody. That's a really excellent point that I hadn't thought about. I just honestly thought, of course, Jimmy Havoc's not going to get a chance at the title. That's crazy talk. I mean, that was the other that was definitely another aspect of it. <laughs> Jimmy Havoc was definitely not getting a title shot. Yeah, Darby Allen is like the rising star. Totally get it. Uh, but I do like that that they have that tie-in to say, hey, Cody, you can get the job done. Because they definitely did show a recap, recap of that moment where they timed out on the match instead of actually Cody getting the pin. So that's actually pretty cool. I think this shows some of their long-range planning as well. Because why else would you have had a draw between Cody and Darby? Yeah, I... I... You're probably right. They probably were. I mean, that was way back at Fighter Fest, which was their second ever show, and they were. They probably had this whole thing in mind from then. So I feel like I've not been giving them as much credit as they're due for some of this uh, LRP. I also loved that the ref sounded like he was screaming at Jimmy, like he was a parent counting to three. Did anyone else pick up on that? It felt very much like he was like just exasperated with Jimmy, like yelling him at him to stop doing something at the count of three. And Jimmy was not listening. Um, Jenny, the ref was Bryce Remsburg, who I know you are not familiar with necessarily, but of Chikara fame. And he was yelling at them, but I thought it was very entertaining because, well, Bryce just wants to keep control of the match. And these two unstable men are just doing what they're going to do. So I think you're accurate, but I also think it's very entertaining. And I love Bryce. Oh, I thought it was very entertaining. It's like when I'm watching my brother and sister-in-law count to three with my niece, (laughs) them get to three, and nothing happens. Yes, Jimmy Havoc and Darby Allen are definitely the equivalent of three-year-olds. So, (laughs) nailed it. After this, we have the women's tag team match with B Priestley and Emmy Sakura facing Britt Baker and Riho, our current AEW women's champion. Britt Baker and Riho got the win in this one 
uh, Britt Baker made Emmy tap out. Britt actually used the same finisher in her move in the After Dark show as well. I guess her finisher is her putting her fingers in someone's mouth. I'm sorry. I understand that you're a dentist, but you've been out on that sweaty mat, sweating and like touching things. If I was her opponent, I would say no thank you. Well, Jenny, you're not hardcore enough. But that's gross. Gonna have to show you a bunch of mankind matches. I, I'm, at least if you're gonna, if that's gonna be your finisher, you need to put some antibacterial lotion up on that up on that mat over on the corner so you can wash your hands before you put them in someone's mouth. Because she's gonna get so many people sick. There's gonna be flu rampant in that locker room. Oh my gosh, I would love. I just love the image of Britt Baker hiding, like, antibacterial. Purell. Yeah, Purell. The way that the old school wrestlers hid blades, she's just got, like, <laughs> her Purell hidden. She's like, okay, I'm going to do this now. Clean the hands. sticking them in your mouth. Don't worry. Germ-free. They could install one in one of the corners. Like, they could install, like, the little, like, Purell station. Next to the, the steady cam that they've got going on that one ring post. Yeah. Which I think that steady cam, since you brought it up, is very cool. But there is a significant, noticeable drop in quality in video when they move to that steady cam. It's it's a little jarring to the viewer. Well, it's definitely not going to be as high quality because it is just a camera that potentially is going to get to get destroyed at some point when somebody steps on it. So it's a I think it's a cool little cutaway. But, yeah, I'm not expecting, like, the highest production quality for something that's taped to a ring pole. Well, I think it's a really cool cutaway, and I like having it there. But I think, like, their other cameras are such high definition that maybe they should spring for, like, the next level of GoPro so that it's not so jarring to the viewer. So, uh, my favorite aspect of this match, actually, because it was, you know, it was fine. It was, it was fine. It was okay. Um... When Excalibur introduced Emi Sakura as a legend, ah. Jim Ross said, why is she a legend? And he didn't say it in like a condescending way. He said it in a, okay, you said that, but our audience doesn't know who that is. So please explain to the audience why she's a legend. And then Excalibur did it. I thought it was a very good Jim Ross moment. And, and it really kind of like shows you one of the reasons that he's there. He's there to like coach a guy like Excalibur, who's not nearly as experienced as he is, and he may know the move names a lot better. But he's not a he's not a he's not a professional broadcaster. And Jim Ross has those instincts, and he knew that like okay, you've got to tell you've got to tell the story to the audience. You know, you can't rely on them googling her. You know, to get her over, you need to get her over in your commentary. Yeah, and you should. And I think what was the best part of this match was that Sakura actually taught Riho. So when they were in the ring together. Their just whole sequence felt so seamless. Everything was so well choreographed because they knew each other. They had trained together. Uh, Riho had learned from Sakura. So I thought that was a really cool aspect of the match. And I thought that when the two, when Riho and Sakura were in the ring together, that match was excellent. Yeah, they, they were definitely the best part of the match, their interactions. Did you guys also pick up on, I think it was Jim Ross who said some refs don't even have any 
damn common sense. Yeah, definitely shots fired at Rick Knox for uh, the whatever happened last week in the uh, in the main event. Rough, because is that in character? Are we are we to assume that in the storyline they're saying Rick Knox made a mistake? Yeah, I mean, they. I, I'm pretty sure they are. After we recorded last week, I did see a Twitter exchange that Cody had with a fan, and the fan was basically saying, like, what's the deal with with Kenny Omega, with John Moxley and Kenny Omega, and, and why 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 wasn't was there disqualification? And Cody said, it's up to the referee's discretion, but yeah, I think he made a mistake in that point. I don't think that you'll see something like that happen again. Okay, so they booked that, and now in storyline they're kind of covering it, which I guess is a, a good way to go, except, sorry, poor Rick Knox here. That makes me think that Rick Knox made a mistake. That he, that he was out of position for that spot. That he wasn't supposed to see that spot and he was in yeah. camera position to see that spot? Yep, yep. That's what, that, that's what I thought. And I, I could be wrong, but that was when I, when I saw, when I A, saw Cody say that on Twitter and B, heard Jim Ross say that on Dynamite, I thought, oh, Rick Knox messed up. Have you ever heard another referee been blasted on commentary like that before? Like a week after the show? Can't say as I have, no. I, I thought that was unique. <laughs> I'm going to go with the word unique here. Okay. I think it's unusual to highlight an error. I know that the like a fan brought it up and Cody was just responding in a way that was both like diplomatic but also kept in character and kept with their storylines. It just sucks because like people mess up and... It's weird that that's, like, getting attention. I think I actually weirdly like it. So... <laughs> Jen likes accountability. I do. I, I think accountability is so important. <laughs> but even more so than that, if you're trying to come off as a legitimate sport, that stuff that you talk about in sports broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Every football game I've ever watched, the commentators are talking sometimes about how bad calls are made by the refs. So this feels very sports-like to me. And if that's the vibe you're going for, if that's the fan base that you're clearly going for, that's tuning you out to watch baseball, that's where you should be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you are I think you make good points. It is a little weird, though, because they, they, they strive to be presented as a sport, but it's not a sport. And unlike in the NFL, the announcers and the referees aren't employed by the same entity <laughs> and it's just kind of like in AEW, they're all working for the same people. And it's just really just like, it's just shit talking to your coworkers <laughs> out in public. Yeah. But you know, like all coworkers kind of shit talk each other, but normally it's behind their back. Yeah. Jim Ross has more, a little more of a platform than most. <laughs> exactly. I don't use this podcast to shit talk my coworkers. Not yet. I get one day. It's just like, because of that too, you'd think, if it came down to it, couldn't you spin after the fact the story? Instead, it was so much like, yeah, he did mess up and we're all rolling with it. So here we are. I would just think you could do slightly more course correction instead of going straight to, well, it's a ref's call. I don't know. <laughs> I think that they were a little bit sensitive because so many people, including you know us, mm-hmm. uh, blasted them online about that, like, 
really major mistake in your first TV main event to have something like that that was so egregious. Yeah. Yeah, you know. So I think that they were just feeling sensitive about it. No, we did not blast them. Is this blasting them online? Talking about them on the podcast? Is that blasting no, them online? No, we didn't. Jenny, we didn't tag them in this. It's fine. Nobody's getting added. We didn't get up in their mentions. Yeah, we didn't like, troll them on Twitter about this. No. So after that match, we get a video of the best friends hugging in a park. And we've seen this before if you watch Being the Elite. It's a wonderful promotional video for that team and i love it so much it's chuck and trent and then as we pan the camera out uh it's clear that this video was being shown in the arena so everybody got to see it and then we kind of see that there's an interviewer there and chuck and trent are in the crowd right up front and they're going to get interviewed and the interviewer asks how do you feel going into the match with scu for the the tag team tournament which perhaps is next week. I'm not really clear on that. But Chuck says, I don't know. Why don't you ask him? And then he steps aside and there's Orange Cassidy sitting in a chair behind them, slumped over, very apathetic. It's a great energy. I love his vibe. And he just does that like half thumbs up where he can't quite raise the thumb all the way, but it's like, yeah, sure. And it was just a really fun segment. The crowd loved it because... They are so into the best friends in Orange Cassidy, and I was very excited to see them finally on AEW television. I thought this segment was great. I love the Canadian tuxedo slow-mo hug <laughs> in a park. Nothing's going to top that. And then them panning to Orange Cassidy lounging in a folding chair with the half thumbs up. Oh my goodness. It was it was great. Also, Jenny, also wearing a Canadian tuxedo. It's so good. It may be the uniform of the best friends. We don't know. There's nothing better than that. So Orange Cassidy's apathetic thumbs up was interrupted by a blackout because we are going straight into the next match, which is Sean Spears. He's the one on stage because, you know, very dramatic when the lights come on. He's there. And he is facing John Moxley. Sean Spears also has his friend Tully Blanchard with him. Moxley wins this, but it's an intense battle, I have to say. Like, the speed and pacing of this match was faster than I think any of the other ones on this this particular show. John Moxley came at Sean Spears with, like, a very frenetic energy that he enjoyed. But it was also just, like, a smash, like, a beat em up smash em. Like, Moxley wanted to kill Sean Spears, and the entire match, he was carrying out that mission. He was just going for him constantly, and he wasn't doing flips and and cool high-flying stuff, but he was just forward momentum the entire time. it was a toasty champagne instead of a fruity champagne. (laughs) Exactly. John Moxley is the toastiest of (laughs) champagnes. It really seemed early on... And I know you can't push everybody all at the same time, but didn't it seem when they brought Sean Spears in, especially, you know, with the hitting Cody with the chair shot, didn't it seem like they were really going to do something with him? Yeah, they seem pretty high on him for some reason. And I'm not saying he's not good, but of all the people you could pick, it's kind of, 
surprising that he's the one they're they're putting momentum behind? Well, that's just it. It doesn't seem like they are pushing him that hard because he he just loses. He loses and loses and loses. And I I also feel like there is just a WWE. It's like he reeks of WWE. He's still doing the 10 thing. That confuses me. Like, why why are we holding on to that old gimmick? Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, Moxley wins and he goes forward. And uh, we had Pac on commentary in this match asking why he doesn't get a title shot. And he has a point. And an adorable British accent. He is more engaging than Britt Baker was last week. And he makes a good point. And I, I did like that he brought in, he's like, I should be out there because I'm better. And also, here's the numbers to back it up. I haven't lost as many times. Or I think he's lost yeah. like one time. But he he's, cited he's his lost stats. one which time I, in the last two years. Yeah, he's really putting emphasis on that in a way that legitimizes their whole win-loss record thing. So he, he makes a point. Like, why am I not out there? I have a better record. And I deserve the shot. So I like that. The problem with the pack thing, I mean, I, I appreciate that he called it out, but it is ridiculous that coming off submitting Kenny Omega and Hangman Page, that Darby Allen is now in line for a title shot and Pack is not. But but it's it, it's obviously because Pack getting a title shot is something you save for a pay-per-view, but you can't say that on commentary. So it just kind of created a weird situation where he's complaining about this thing and it makes sense, but you also, as a fan, you know what the reason is. Yeah, but I think you could, without acknowledging specifically Dragon Gate or other promotions, you could just say, well, in AEW, here's your record. And that's not much better than anyone else because we've only had a couple of shows, you know? Like, he's not that far ahead if you limit it to AEW. I guess that's true, yeah. But, I mean, I would say that getting submissions over Hangman Page and Kenny Omega probably trumps, uh, you know, a draw with Cody and a loss in the Cracker Barrel Clash. Yeah, why is Darby getting a shot at the championship? Obviously, he's not going to win it. He's getting a shot at the championship because he, he fought Cody to a draw, and he defeated Shima, and then he defeated Jimmy Havoc. Yeah, but, like, Shima and Jimmy Havoc are not strong opponents. It's like beating the Browns and the Jets. How dare you. (laughs) After the match, we did have a segment where Kenny Omega walked out, and he had a barbed wire bat in one hand and a barbed wire broom, which, side note, looks ridiculous, in his other hand. And he... It's like... Okay, I get what you're going for, but it's so silly. But I'm still on board. Fine, let's take it. And Moxley and him kind of have a stare down where Moxley's at the bottom of the ramp and Kenny's on the stage at the top. And he tosses Moxley the bat. And then they do a square up where they both kind of, they raise, it's almost like a batter's motion. where It's like, it's time to go. And then before anyone can move forward and actually start this fight, Pac runs out and behind Kenny he's he slams him with the chair to end this whole interaction and he leaves and Moxley shows kind of a weird sportsmanship restraint by looking down at Kenny and staring at Pac and kind of giving him a look like what the hell man like this isn't how we play this game Pac leaves and Moxley just drops drops the bat and walks away so I did appreciate like they're setting that up 
Moxley had a weird sense of sportsmanship. I like that a lot. Um, but are we going to get a weird hardcore match with Moxley and Kenny? Because I don't really want to see Kenny bleed. But I did enjoy the face-off. Yeah, it did seem like they're probably pointing towards their full gear match being like unsanctioned or some kind of street fight. Ugh. I, I'm not going to be able to listen to JR call a broom a mop for 20 minutes. You mean call a mop? Well, that's what he did last time, but Kenny actually has a broom now, so he's going to call it a mop. I see. Okay. I gotcha. I hate street fights. I think one well-placed street fight every few months is just fine. I'll deal with it on a pay-per-view. I'm glad that because of TV's age ratings and such, we probably aren't going to get anything more extreme than, than what just happened here. Kenny is better than having to do blood matches. Well, as a teaser, wait till you hear about his AEW dark match for next week. No, it's just, he oh doesn't my. need to do this. It's like a real actress doing porn. He doesn't need to do this. Kenny, don't, don't sell don't your body. Don't sell your blood, Kenny. Don't sell it. Keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it in your in your body where it belongs. I just, I love Ken. I, I love Kenny. And he's so talented. And he just doesn't need to be doing these gimmicks. He can stand on his own and people will watch him. Here, here. So our main event match for this show is Dustin Rhodes and Adam Page versus Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. And unsurprisingly, I think Jericho and Guevara get the win. Uh, it ends with Jericho pinning Dustin Rhodes after doing the Judas effect move he's so happy about. Um, after the match, I think that's when the real action started. But before we get into that, does anybody have comments on on what happened in the match? I thought Dustin was the star of the match. I thought his like real his intensity going after Jericho was really something else. That guy is a marvel at like fifty years old to see what he to see what he can still do. And uh, on the other hand, he was way out of position for the Judas effect. <laughs> <laughs> I liked. I really liked the chemistry that he and Hangman had. It seemed very effortless. God gave with both hands uh-huh. with Hangman Page. Yep. Adam by the shirt with anyone because he's just perfect. Okay, except for Kip Sabian, I guess. Thought that Dustin was pretty impressive in this match. I couldn't enjoy his last match that I saw with Cody because of all of the blood, and I have some serious issues with having blood out there. But I was pretty impressed with his moves and his athletic ability at his age, especially. And, you know, obviously way too soon for Jericho and Sammy to be taking a loss after just establishing their group at the beginning of this show. Definitely. For sure. And I think the after the match segment of this kind of follows with that, where, you know, they get the pin... Jericho and Guevara, they get a win. It's clean. Congratulations, but it's not enough. So after the win, Jericho leads the charge to continue beating up Dustin until Adam Page can recover and make the save himself. But then 
Um, Jake Hagar is there just waiting. And he and Paige end up fighting their way out of this. So they, they go back to the back and take themselves out of this whole post-match event. Um, Jericho and Guevara continue to beat up Dustin. And then all of a sudden, the lights go out. And <laughs> it was clear people were anticipating what ha- was going to happen because there were Cody chants. And when the lights came back on, Cody was there in the ring. He was dressed in, like, a suit. So, you know, clearly pulled out of an important business meeting. <laughs> and he crossroads Sammy, and then he runs over to Jericho. But before he can get there, Santana and Ortiz get to him. Just to mention, maybe don't do the Sean Spears blackout entrance if you're going to do a blackout reveal with Cody Rhodes in the main event. It does overshadow it quite a bit. Jericho's and Cody are about to face off. Santana and Ortiz interfere, but obviously Cody's best friend, MJF, has to show up. And he does, and he grabs the chair, and then there's this, like, there's this moment of hesitation where he's standing, they're holding Cody up, Jericho, Santana, and Ortiz, they're the baddies, they've got his friend in a bind, and he kind of looks at them, and you wonder, like, is this... Is this the change? Is this where he turns against him? Oh, it's so great. It was so but great. But it is not. It's going to be so good <laughs> when he finally turns. Yes. It, it completely reminded me of that S.H.I.E.L.D. moment where it's like, there's always a plan B. And I fully expected him to just wail on Cody. But he didn't. No. He did not yet. I think so, when he finally turns, he's going to strangle Cody with that scarf. Oh, that's a good call. Hey, Debbie, if you're listening, you can take that. You can have that one for free. I'm I'm gonna support Jenny on that. It's her idea, but I think it's brilliant. MJF hit everyone with a chair and then got overwhelmed because he stopped and posed for too long. You know, it's really a danger if you just are um very muscly. <laughs> you probably develop that impulsion to show it off. So I can't fault him. It's in his nature. It, it's hard to untrain, you know? Yeah. So, sorry, MJF. It's it's just something to work on, I guess. Your muscles are great. Um, your narcissism, get it under control. Because he gets taken out. He's out because of that. And then the inner circle gets the upper hand. They're beating people up. And so this causes the Bucks to run out. And they go specifically after Santana and Ortiz. And they're doing their thing. And then at the end of this whole mess of a, mess of a chaotic thing, Jericho's walking away. He's like, cool, Santana and Ortiz are getting beat up, but like, I'm the leader. I don't have to worry about this. This is what these guys so are So he's for. got his belt. He's Exactly. Like, they are my meat shields. Throw them out there. He's leaving. And then as he turns to go up the ramp, coming down the ramp is skater boy Darby Allen. And he, he says, see you later, boy, when he skated down the ramp and then just need Jericho right in the face. It was fucking awesome. And it was, it was a moment, I will say. It was very cool. <laughs> so <laughs> this was like the victory where Darby Allen's like, I'm coming for you next week. And we have a bunch of good guys, I guess, because the Bucks are good guys as needed. Um, but yeah, it's like a whole thing. I loved it. It was great. What were your thoughts? I'm so overseeing this shit every week. 
It's been two weeks. Been two weeks and I'm over it. I just don't need to see an ending where everyone on your roster is out on the mat. I, I just think it's overkill. I loved it because it was like the inverse of what we saw at the end of last week's yeah, show. Yeah, but it's what we saw last week except the inverse. It's the same shit. No, it was, it was directly playing upon. But it's the same saw. thing, just the good guys win versus the bad guys win. Yeah, that's the point. But why? I don't want to see the same thing every week. It's, don't it's, do that two weeks in a row. It's establishing your, your, your babyface group and your heel group. It's setting up Darby versus Jericho for next week. I think they accomplish a lot of great things here. I think I land somewhere in the middle where, like, I do understand your point, Sandy, and I, I agree with them. But also, I did lean towards Jenny's side where, like, I want that setup, but I want a show to end cleanly at some point, you know? Like, by the end of it, I was just like, I'm exhausted. A lot of stuff's happening right now. When will we just get a main event that ends? We're going to get a main event that ends next week with Chris Jericho gloating over a defeated Darby Allen. I, I don't think so. I think someone's going to come out again. Okay. They're setting a precedent for this to happen every single week. Champagne bet. That... Well, here's how I think it should end. AEW, if you want to take this, feel free. It should end with a champagne celebration. Hmm. Where like Formula One. Exactly. Yeah, I was gonna say, like they just spray each other. Where Jericho wins, he gets a bottle of his Andres, which please AEW spring for at least the barefoot bubbly. And he sprays it all over the ring, all over Darby, wipes Darby's face paint off with that champagne. That's how it should end. I like that. I like that. But you don't think that's gonna happen because you think there's gonna be a big cluster brawl in the ring again yeah and i'm, I'm not going to be happy with that if it ends with a champagne celebration happy with that every day that's how every AEW should end i'm not going to be upset if that's how it ends i don't think it's likely <laughs> but i do <laughs> i do think that they're gonna kind of normalize and get to the point where every main event doesn't end in a huge multi-man brawl i just kind of was surprised that it it was two two weeks in a row. Like this week, definitely okay with it. It it made sense, but also let's be careful, boys, because we don't wanna we don't wanna be it almost felt reactionary in in the way NXT felt reactionary for the entire show last week. It was like, okay, you're still ahead on ratings, you don't need to do this big crazy thing at the end of every show. Well, last week you said that you felt exhausted after the AEW show. And you said again this week that you felt exhausted after this ending. I also felt exhausted after this ending. And I remembered you saying you felt exhausted about the NXT show. And I just thought, man, you're playing into their hand. I think all in all, this was a a much better show than week one. Definitely. I think they wouldn't have lost 400,000 viewers if they had put on this show last week. Uh, maybe. I, I think know. they would have lost 200,000. Okay. I guess we'll never know, but... I mean, you have to, you have to remember, they did... They did have, uh... 100, 122,000 people who watched it on True TV. Okay, so they lost 300,000. Yeah. I almost... We almost watched it on True TV, because I didn't want to have to worry about switching 
the you know the feed during the show, but then I checked the the score of the game and it seemed like it was going to end before the cutoff time. So, so I think overall, I think this was definitely a better show than the first episode. There were a couple things that I've noticed that were just a little bit different than what I've seen from a WWE perspective. I I think the language is a little bit different, maybe because it's. Well, it's still on cable, so I don't know how it would be different. But I heard shit. I heard... It's... Their rating is TV 14, whereas WWE's rating is TV PG. Okay, so they have a little bit more leeway. Yeah. So I've heard shit. I've heard bitch. I've heard goddamn. And last week I saw someone flicking in the audience, flicking someone off on the on the stage or whatever. That happened to Sean so, Spears this week, too. Just FYI. Okay. So you saw flicking off as well. I was a little shocked by that. Just like every time I watch Bravo and I'm shocked by their ability to say some words on there as well. And Megan, I also, I know you talked about this last week about the barricades being super flimsy. It's so noticeable, especially because in the last WWE pay-per-view, Eric Rowan lifted one of the WWE barricades, which was hefty. It was like full metal with padding on both sides. You could see him like really struggling with this thing too. Yeah. It wasn't like when they did that chairs, ladders, stairs match and said that the stairs weighed 250 pounds and they clearly weighed 25 pounds. What a coincidence, Eric Rowan, in that match. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, this, like you could see that this thing was heavy. It was hefty. And it is a barricade between the wrestling and the fans. And so I could really see the difference this this week on AEW, just how flimsy their barricades are. And they're going into the fan base. I think they need to really readjust for that. Yeah, I think uh, if you watch WWE men get thrown into the barricades, it's clear nothing's moving. Whereas this week, especially with um, Moxley's match, he was tossing Sean Spears into barricades. There was one spot where he, like Sean Spears, literally like threw him into the corner of the bar- like barricade and they definitely moved. Like it's very um, indie of them to have these flimsy movable barricades, but it seems like maybe they'd want to upgrade just with the amount of outside the ring work they're doing. And I don't, I don't know how liability works, but it seems like a thing that should come up. That's what I'm concerned about because I asked you guys the other week. I've never been to a wrestling show. Do you have to sign a waiver when you're sitting in that front row? And you guys said no. No. If you're in the crowd, you just you just show up, Jenny. You just show up and you sit there and you hope you don't die. I just think from a liability perspective, this being a corporation, this being on a cable television show... That is a bad idea. Someone's going to get hurt and they're going to get sued. And then they're going to put in those padded barricades. I think it's, uh, it's, it's maybe it's more a testament to as good as the, that show looks on TNT. Like it's so colorful and the arenas are, are full. And like, so they were in a smaller building this week. They were, they were about, I think there were about seven or 8,000 there instead of 14,000 last week. But it looked like more. Like it, this looked like a great big crowd. And when you compare it to NXT, it is. 
But there are still certain things about the WWE production and the WWE set that I just don't think they're going to be able to touch because WWE's just got that shit down pat. I mean, you guys have seen the SmackDown new set. set. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I was impressed. Yeah. Yeah, WWE has a lot of money and production talent. And I'm not saying AEW needs that level, but maybe just throw up those heavy barricades with the padding on them. That's all. And I think that AEW has the production money. Maybe not quite as much as WWE. They're on a budget. They are on but so is WWE. Yeah, but but WWE's budget is much higher than AEW's budget. They got Pyro back, finally. Yeah. But they have been on a budget. But I think it's just the experience of knowing what to spend your money on. And I think the first lawsuit that comes, they're going to know what to spend their money on. Uh, yeah. And they're going to so. wish they had spent that money on the preventative measures versus the reactive measures. Yeah. And aesthetically, it just looks a lot better, too. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It is like just a uniform wall versus the movable yeah. barricades. Uh, it gives, yeah. It just gives you kind of like clean sight lines all around the ring. Yeah. I will say, um, just as a note, like I thought. <laughs> I really respected the AEW crowd when, um, so like when Moxley was up in them barricades and very close, people were just slapping him and touching him and, you know, don't touch the wrestlers, guys. But during the women's match, I feel like there was a moment where, when like Riho was basically in the crowd, like she had gone over the barricades, no one touched her. None of those men even ventured a tap and i i kind of like felt a weird comfort of like thank you for knowing your boundaries aew crowd thank you for it's not a woodstock 99 situation exactly like thank you for not being weird about this situation and touching her and i just i just found like great comfort in that uh it was just kind of a personal thing but i was like oh cool there are crowd boundaries and you you do understand them and I love that. Well, That's great. This, this, would, this would be a crowd that would be more conscientious than that, of things like that than most, I think. I also, I, I don't know the guys. I think, I hope so. But it's also Riho. She's, she's adorable and she's precious and she is very childlike. So I think you protect things like that. What if a Penelope had been up against that wall? Do you think the same just protection would have been given it's an interesting question <laughs> all i know is that if it had happened on raw there would be a picture on the internet of somebody groping riho's ass yeah. i don't know because riho looks like a baby doll i don't know that people would do that yeah. to riho you know there are there are all kinds out there jenny and it's horrible and uh you know She's a genre for someone. I guess that's so. true, but I'm just saying I think that it may be, and I'm not trying to not give credit to AEW fans, but it could be that she is just more childlike and delicate and precious than some of the other women because that's her character. She looks like a baby doll. Maybe it is the case that Rio looks younger and 
and exudes that energy. But at the same time, like, I just, I like that people apparently are willing to touch John Moxley, who um, I want to compare to when Andy, you, I, and one of our friends went to a Ring of Honor show and the Briscoes got in that weird area within touching distance and our friend touched one and I was basically like, you that's a grizzly bear who will take your hand off whereas like okay you're touching John Moxley but at the same time like I believe that the AEW crowd is woke enough that they're not gonna they're not gonna do that to the women like was it Natty who had the, the weird Instagram picture where some kid basically like copped a feel while she was up on the barricade I just don't I don't see that happening. I don't remember that, but I mean, it just happened to Sasha Banks a couple weeks ago. Seriously? Yeah. yeah, like, I feel like the crowd at AEW, by and large, I would have more confidence in them to not pull weird shit like that, basically, is is what I'm saying. I think they should put the big barricades up so that we don't have to rely upon that. Barricades ain't going to protect you. If you kind of lean into them. They should put you, a six foot barricade. No, I'm joking. Jenny's like, no let's one be able to see the show. Yeah, get that barbed wire on the top. We want to cut out the crowd view completely. And uh, just no interaction. No touching. No touching. If you want to see real action, see your own real blood. <laughs> from, the, from the barbed wire. Exactly. So as we uh, get ready to wrap up here, I'm just going to go over the matches that they, I'm not going to give results, no spoilers. So uh, AEW Dark next week, in case anyone wants to check it out, 7 p.m. on Tuesday on YouTube and I think also Facebook, but uh, YouTube's probably the best place to check that out. The matches will be Sonny Kiss versus Peter Avalon versus Kip Sabian in a three-way match. The Dark Order and Angelico and Jack Evans versus Shima and SCU. And the final dark match of the night, Kenny Omega versus Joey Janela in an unsanctioned match. I'm shocked they're putting a Kenny Omega match on a dark match. And especially after all of his bullshitting with the promos about the NXT people being on the dark matches on an AEW show. That's, you know what? I didn't even thought of that. That's actually pretty funny. Although, I mean, the first two weeks of the ratings war have kind of borne that out. Like, you know, AEW is continuing to kick the shit out of NXT. Like, Kenny can cruise on that dark match and it's really not saying anything. Yeah. I think it's saying something, guys. I think he's going to turn back to the good guy. I think being on this dark match, they're going to do a Being Newly episode about how he was pushed down to a dark match because he's not being a team player and he's thinks himself so high above himself that they're trying to put him in his place and then he's going to be put in his place in this dark match and he's kind of come out and be the Kenny we know him to be. Well, unfortunately, Jenny, uh, Kenny's already booked for a match on live on TNT next week. So that probably hurts your narrative somewhat. No, I don't think so. He's already turned to a good guy. He learned his lesson. Kenny is a quick learner, people. Okay. A quick learner. I gotcha. 
So we have a we have a full card announced for next week's Dynamite, and this is uh, I I would go so far as to say this is the most stacked lineup they've done in their three in their three weeks. Mm. We've got SCU Daniels and Kazarian versus Best Friends as a first round match in the AEW Tag Team Title Tournament. Now this is the first time SCU is going to be on the real show. Yeah, they've only been on dark matches so far. Yeah, true. We've got a boy and his dinosaur, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, versus the Lucha Brothers, Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix in the other AEW Tag Team Title Tournament uh, match. We've got a very recently, just uh, this morning, announced tag team match, another another tag team match, not a tournament match, but it's Kenny Omega and Hangman Page taking on John Moxley and Pac. Oh, that's going to be a good I'm one. very excited for yeah. this. Oh, that one sounds pretty great. Actually. I hope that is the main event. I hope there's not a Jericho match so that we can have this be the main event. <laughs> In the AEW Women's World Championship match, Riho defends against Dr. Britt Baker. Mm, Britt Baker is so not ready for the championship yet. I, I agree. I don't think there's much of a chance that mm-hmm. she takes the title here. Mm-hmm. I think I think it'll be a long road for her, if yes. ever. And in the main event, Jenny. No, no, not Jericho. Chris Jericho defends his world title against Darby Allen, a match that you certainly knew was happening. Shoot. Yes, it was advertised. It was advertised this show, Jenny. Guys, I I am coming around to Jericho as a heel, but it's a slow come around. I think Omega and Page versus Moxley and Pack is a super interesting tag team match. It should be the main event. It should not be the main it event. It should be the, the main world event. title match. Should be the main event. <laughs> no, shouldn't. No, you've got, you've got, you've got some of your best stars. Not your best star, but you have okay. You have your best star against a eh star, and you have four great stars against each other. Mm-hmm. Which one do you put? I would go with your four great stars. One God gave with both hands. The I like other. That, I like that you're just you're leaving out of that equation that the world titles at stake in one of the matches. Who cares? I mean, they should. Well, many many the, viewers the world, care. Guys, the world title is not going to change hands on the next the next AEW Dynamite. There's no way Chris Jericho is losing that title. So it's a, a non-event. It doesn't matter that that world title is on the line because it's not going to change hands. So why even think it could possibly change hands? Because it's not. That kind of... So they should be equal. There's no title at stake for either match. That kind of begs the question, though. Like, I don't fully understand their pay-per-view schedule. So how long... Until we expect major events to occur. November 9th is uh, full gear. Right. And then, but like, so that's a thing. But moving forward, do they have a regular schedule? Or like, I know they scheduled this one, but are we going to get like quarterly or? I think Tony Khan has said quarterly. I think he's also said, so we, so really, we just don't know when the winter pay-per-view is going to take place. Because he said before that he wants he wants a uh, double. He wants Vegas in, in like Memorial Day weekend to be a thing. He wants Chicago on Labor Day weekend to be a thing, and I guess depending on how full gear goes, like you know, uh, November in Baltimore. So 
Okay, so they're establishing like a big four kind of precedent here with what they're trying to do for overall in the future. Yeah, it seems that way. Okay. I guess we'll see. I guess I guess we'll see when they when and where they put that winter pay per view. Okay, so that's good. I was, I was just thinking, curious. I was thinking of Weather City, but <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, that makes sense. For okay, so good. I like that schedule. I feel like it's much more appropriate than like a monthly sort of deal. So that's exciting, and I also it's kind, think you know, it's, it's kind of that NXT pace. Yeah, I I feel like that's that pace is something that you can plan to and work around without you know without losing anything. You can make good arcs that last that amount of time. So, okay, that makes me happy to know they're sort of looking ahead. Yeah. So what what do you the, the both of you cuz I'm I'm curious because I I do think that that tag team match Omega and Hangman versus Moxley and Pack is probably the most intriguing match of the five on the slate next week, because as much as I do think Jericho and Allen should be the main event, Jenny is right in that that title is not going to change hands. We know that the main event of full gear is not going to be Cody versus Darby Allen. Um, <laughs> as funny as that would be. Uh, <laughs> it's nice that you acknowledge that your wife is right. Yeah. Okay. That's the takeaway here. That's the main takeaway. So, <laughs> what do and we'll go Megan first and then Jenny. What would you book based on how things have gone so far for Hangman and Omega versus Moxley and Pack? With the proviso that you have to do a finish. Oh, yes. I want it on the record that I'm tired of these shenanigan finishes that don't actually finish. Wait, what are you talking about? Ball um, kicks. No, just in yeah, general. Just not on finish in AEW yet. That hasn't occurred. I'm working on my wwe history here oh okay sorry i should clarify just i've been trained to expect a non-finish when stuff like this happens i think i'm gonna have to land on heel side here because i i love it i love the heels and i think the chase is a really good story especially considering what happened in the last two weeks on aew so i'm gonna go let moxley and Pac win because why not? They're real badass dudes, and as Pac pointed out, he's won a lot. So I want to give it to them. Okay. Can I want to know what their win loss records are. Pac is two and zero oh. in singles. Omega is one and two, and Moxley is one and zero oh because his match with Joey Janela didn't count because it was unsanctioned back at. Uh, fighter fest and hangman is one and two. Ooh. Oh, this is tough because they're gonna have separate so so basically pack and moxley are undefeated right omega and hangman both have losing records but these records will not go on their single records they'll go on their like, tag team records tag team records so they won't count as much i think that megan's probably right but i'm gonna go with my heart Okay. And I'm going to go with what I would like to see. Okay. And that's a Kenny page win. Okay. Now, Jenny, I have a follow-up. In that win, what um, do you predict that Moxley and Pac 
will turn on each other because that's always the danger in the heel stable tag teams. Not not stable, but like the fact that they're not even like an established team, it's always a danger, I think. Do you think and Moxley's not even like a full fledged heel? Uh, okay, guys, they are not a tag team. Even if they win, they're going to turn on each other. Pac and Moxley are turning on each other, regardless of whether they win or lose. Okay, I mean, I'm not going to dispute it. I just wanted to get your opinion. I think Moxley's going to pin Hangman Page, because I think that Hangman is the least important of the four right now, as much as it pains me to say. And they need to keep Moxley and Omega like kind of clean against each other until their pay-per-view match in a few weeks. I think that's a good observation as well. So, Yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. Now, one big last question before we wrap up. And Megan, you've had advance notice of this question. You expressed elsewhere in the lead-up to All Out that Chris Jericho beating Hangman Page would be a terrible thing it doesn't make any sense. You're just sticking with an old guy instead of pushing a new guy, et cetera, et cetera. Now, unfortunately for you, you were completely wrong about the result of that match. However, in the in the month and a half since, and a lot of it based on the last, you know, two weeks, do you think that in retrospect, they made the right call with making Chris Jericho the first world champion? Yes, I'm going to admit no, I'm going to admit my my wrong here. Um, but I do want to clarify for the listeners that it wasn't necessarily anti-Jericho sentiment. It was anti-we're starting this out with like a legend status. And I think that that's fair coming from the context of WWE where like the, the people who are legends who come in for a very set small amount of time kind of sucks for like the main talent that has put in the effort and put in the work and they get overshadowed. I will say that this also, (laughs) this also comes at a period for me where I was like, Hey, I'm tired of hearing Jericho talk about himself. And specifically (laughs) I'm tired of hearing Jericho attribute so much of AEW to himself which I still stand by. I think it's very diminishing when he says that he's the big name talent and kind of dismisses all of the work the Bucks and everybody else behind the scenes have done. Like the Bucks, Cody, all of them being elite guys. So I will admit I was in a headspace where maybe that was kind of predominant and I I was just annoyed. And then to give him the title, I was like, man, you're really, you're really hinging everything on this legacy guy who like sure mainstream viewers are going to be like okay I know who Jericho is that's awesome but that also to me kind of implied that you didn't have confidence in the fact that like all these indie guys and all of the elite who are indie guys hadn't built up this fan base so this is my defense of that (laughs) it's like I wanted them to crown champion He was within their group. And if not Adam Page, I would say that a good alternative would have been Cody. I know that they don't want to put themselves over. And so it's harder to view that as a possibility. But I would have given it to Cody as one of the younger guys. And they chose to go with a legacy. And that's fine. Because 
again, I am admitting I am wrong. Jericho is an amazing heel. I want to give him all credit that that is due on that side. But, like, I still do have my issue of, like, Jericho, I don't want to hear you tell me about how great you are. Put your actions out there. I can support that. I'm I'm seeing him be a great heel. I cannot deny that. So Jericho, it as a person, like, love it. But, like, he also loves himself. And that's my main issue with him. But I'm not – I can't deny he's a good person to put a belt on because he's a good heel. And the inner circle, circle has proven themselves to be already in one single show. Very compelling. I'm super into it. And I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, he's – I think he's proven to be even more valuable than I thought he'd be, like, going into this whole thing. I had no other context of – Chris Jericho, then a sparkly LED lit scarf coming into, and maybe a book. Did he have like a book? He had a list. A list. It's a list of Jericho. Okay. He, which he actually made kind of a, a reference to in his promo. He did. As he introduced every person, he said, you're on my list. Which is weird because he was trying to downplay so much of all of the WWE promo stuff with everyone else, but... I guess he thought because it was his thing, it was a good creative. I think everything that he does is great. That's, I totally wanted to bring that up too. It's like in the same promo where he disparaged somebody else, he managed to slip in his over gimmick. I have a lot of issues with Jericho the person. And I have a lot of issues with WWE trying to make old legends happen. They do it poorly. They look old. They look bad. They look slow. They can't do any moves. Their outfitting is terrible. I think AEW is doing a good thing with Jericho, though. I'm really impressed by his promos. I love the Le Champion. I love a little bit of the bubbly. And this may just be because he's appealing to my champagne love. But I think they're doing a great job with Jericho, the character. I agree. Like, maybe the key is letting him run wild with his own creative ideas, just like all the rest of the guys. Uh, But I cannot deny how amazing his promos on this show were. And, And I admit, he deserves that belt. He really does. And I also, Megan, like you, thought, let's give it to a, an upstart or let's give it to someone like a, a Cody or a Kenny who's been in since the beginning. And I think they made the right call. And when it's time for him to lose that title, he is going to have that championship seeming so important and so prestigious for when Kenny or Cody or whoever finally takes it off of him. The Le Champion will have that title covered in black truffles and champagne. I certainly hope so. The best way to win a title is if it's covered in those things. That's going to do it for us this week. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. I've been Andy along with Jenny and Megan. Thanks so much for listening. Catch you next week on the Elite Beat. E.
，李毕，一一李毕。